Hello. Hey, Mike. Hi. <laughs> it's Jordan. How's how's it going? Um, pretty good. Just playing video game. Right. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, I just uh, was calling. Uh, Merry Christmas. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. It's calling. Um, I just you know was thinking about you and saying hi and. I've got this, uh, I, I don't know, I, I think you know, I, I have a ukulele now, I play ukulele a lot, so I just was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about old times. You want to do the Christmas song, right? Well, I mean, I, that's not what I was thinking, but... Yeah, 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 well, okay, let's do it. Well, I was, okay, I mean, if you, if you insist, uh, here we go, I can, it's a ukulele version. So. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, things really have changed a lot since we were kids, right? Yeah, yeah, no, they have, really. They've changed a lot. The stockings had all come down Presents been passed around That's when you'd call To discuss it all Compare what we'd got If we got video games off all their names Determine which rule and which were just cool I miss that a lot I'd always call on Christmas as the wrapping fell to the Christmas Back when toys were what Christmas was for no more. I mean things things were a lot simpler back then. I mean, yeah, you were still playing a video game now. Yeah, I mean I still play video games. It's not Nintendo. No, I know it's old, but still now that we're out of school. Santa lists means much fewer gifts for boys become men. I got some money though. That's pretty cool. I know. But still we long in the form of this song. For days way back when I'd always call on Christmas Before gifts had even left the box I'd always call on Christmas Leaving out all the lame gifts like socks To see if you got more stuff than I I'd always call on Christmas Jesus, how the years seem to fly Goodbye Goodbye, Mike Oh, uh, Mike, 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 are you... I always miss him. No, I'm still here. What's up? Oh, um, well, uh, Merry Christmas. Yep, Merry Christmas to you. Bye. Bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cast and Wax. Merry Christmas to you. It's a little early for Christmas, but this is our Christmas episode, as you could tell from that song at the beginning. You're probably realizing that that means this is the last Cast and Wax of the year. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a little early, but we've got a lot of festive stuff going on in this episode, so I think you'll enjoy it. Um, my name's Jordan D. White, as I probably should have told you if I didn't. Um, that was Waxwork Theme I, redone on ukulele with me and my good friend Mike singing, kind of. Um, later on, you'll hear Scapey's Christmas song that he had to do for his assignment. And we also have a Christmas-themed Frank Allen interview, so lots of Christmas stuff. There's also some non-Christmassy things, but there's some Christmas stuff, so that's good. In addition, uh, this goes onto the net, or 
or it's uh, dated for, anyway, the 14th of December. Four days later, I will be turning 30 years old, which means I'm officially old, I guess. That's that's how the law goes on that sort of thing. Anyway, just wanted to mention it. Feel free to send me birthday presents if you'd like, um, or Christmas presents. I guess it's Christmas time as well. So, Or combination, you know, you can get me a more awesome thing and say it's for both. Anyway, uh, let me introduce everybody we have with us. This is Mr. Rory Sinjin here. Hello there, Jordan. Happy birthday, and of course, Merry Christmas to you as well. Um, thank you very much for introducing me. My name is Rory Sinjin. I'm an extra historian. I do uh, extra historical segments of the show, as you probably are aware, if you're a regular listener. Uh, let me let me wish everyone a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, since we won't be back until after New Year. Yeah, I'm not actually even sure exactly when we're going to be back, because next week is going to be um, the weekend of my birthday celebration, so I'm not going to do one then. The week after that is the weekend that Christmas is, which is when we're not going to be doing that. And the week after that is right after New Year's, and I'm just not sure if we'll be able to get one for that one or not. So we might end up not having a new episode until a week after that, which is, wow, that's that's a while from now. That's like a month from now. That would be, yeah, that would be the 12th of January. So it might, we might be taking a month off. That's, oh man, I feel terrible even saying that. Maybe I'll try to do the fourth, but I, I just can't guarantee it. No, no, it's understandable. You know, everyone has holiday plans. I've got plans. I'm going to go back to England, see mother and um, Thomas um, Edison. Thomas Edison. Yes, no, yes, of course, uh, for the for the holidays. So that should be nice. And, um, you know, of course, continue working on the Queen's Institute. Things are going along quite nicely. We are getting a, a substantial amount of money, you know, so I do believe that in the new year we will be able to establish the Institute, which I am so thrilled about. Thank you all, all the listeners, because I have gotten lots of help from the listeners. Thank you, listeners. Please keep sending money and keep sending your good wishes to castandwax at gmail.com. Oh, right. And you can send birthday wishes to me. Yes, yes, yes. But also, Queen, like I said, Queen's Institute. So please, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Um, all right. Our our final co-host today is uh, Mr. Scape White. Hi there. Uh, how are you doing today? Very good. Very good. Are you excited for Christmas? No. Right. No, right. Because, yeah, you don't like Christmas. No, because you're a jerk. Well, I wouldn't. No, not because I'm a I mean, not because I'm a jerk. Well, yeah, because I'm a jerk. Because, I mean, because you're a jerk. Well, I think it's because you're a jerk. You said no, it. That's not what I meant. I meant to say because you're a jerk because when... Oh, okay. Oh, now you messed me up. Because when Christmas comes, you always go to see other people's... And I am here alone. That sucks. Well, yeah, but, you know, they're my family and I want to see them. Well, I'm your family and I want to see you. So how about that? What do you think of that? I think you see me every day. And I'm not sick of you yet, so... Why don't you stick around? Why do you have to read? Oh, all right, all right. Escape. We don't want to. I don't want to get into all of this here. This is. I'm sorry that we leave you, but we ha- we want to go see everybody in our family. Well, you know, my parents. You know, Devin's parents. We we you know we have visits to do. You know, Rory's leaving. Well, you know, well, I, to be fair, he's not my cat. Well, yeah. That's yeah. It's totally different because I'm not his cat. If if he was my cat, if I mean if I was his cat, you keep saying the wrong thing. Doesn't matter. If if I was his cat, I'm sure he would take me to England with him, right, Rory Sandin? Oh well, I you know I don't I don't have a cat, so we'll never know. Well, I think you would. All right. In in another universe, I would sure. There we go. That's ridiculous. Um. Anyway, we. we uh, we do have a really great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, lots of cool stuff. Like I said, lots of Christmas features. So, um, well, two more. You know, so that's cool. Um, um, did you you forgot about um, Frank? Well, no, I mean he's not here. So no, I mean what ha- you know? Are you going to tell us what happened? Why isn't he here? Fra- oh, uh, Frank Allen. For those of you at home, are uh, he's he's one of our normal co-hosts. He's taking a personal day. That's all. So you know, what, is he all right? He's fine. Frank is yeah. He's fine. He'll he'll be fine. So it's nothing big. Look, it don't. Don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's really not important. All right, if you say so. Um, well, then, should we get to extra extra now, then? Yes! Yeah, no, yeah. Let's go right ahead. So 
Thank you very much for that, Scapey. Um, unfortunately, uh, again, we got no letters asking us to solve the problems. Of course, I, you know, I've got clients, you know, I've got people sending us money, but I, I, you know, I offer a free service, a free extra historical reading for a reason. And, and, you know, for some reason, no one wants to take me up on it. Well, you know, that's fine. That's the loss of you, the listener, unfortunately. Um, please write into us. Send me one of your problems or, you know, details, a letter. Castanwax at gmail.com. Tell me about your problems, because then I... Well, I can't solve your problems, but I can help you cope with your problems by, you know, ex examining them in an extra-historical manner, in an extra-historical light. So, to demonstrate again, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer to have an extra-historical reading for one of the people here. So, Jordan, Escape, one of you... I do have a problem! Oh, uh, let's... What? All right, what's your problem? Well, my problem is that at Christmas, my dad leaves me alone at home... And goes away. What is this all about? It's stupid. It's dumb. Dumbass. Dumb. Right. All right. Well, let me, let me tell you. I can understand that problem. That's a very understandable problem. And a serious one, you know, of course. But uh, you'll be interested to know that there is another world. And in this other world, your father doesn't leave you alone at Christmas. In this other world, they decide to have Christmas at home, to stay there with you and have a private family Christmas with just you and Jordan and his wife, Devin, and, of course, your sister, Boo. Oh. Well, she's, you know, part of the family. Well, well. So in this world where they stay home with you, they begin, you know, decorating the house, going about the house, uh, going about getting it ready for Christmas, and they put up what is called a Christmas tree. Now, I believe you had a Christmas tree at your house once, correct? Yes, yeah, one time, yeah. Right. Well, it's a, it's a tree, although I believe in their case they get a fake tree. And they put lights on it, and they put, you know, decorations on it. And what happens is, they coincidentally put the lights and the decorations on the tree in precisely the right way to summon forth a cat-hating, feline-eating demon which possesses the tree and, of course, immediately catches scent of you and your sister and, and decides it wants to devour you. Now, it doesn't come out when they are awake, of course. It waits until they are asleep, posing as the innocent Christmas tree that it looks like. But when they are in bed, it, it comes to life. It, the lights become demonic eyes looking in all directions. The bulbs become magical pouches that it throws, you know, and makes explosions that, while deadly, are not loud enough to wake up your parents, unfortunately. Uh, and you are forced to use all of your cat wiles to fight this demon. Now, unfortunately, it's not enough. Yes, it is! It's totally enough! I would be able to kill demons with my cat wiles! No, not in this world, because this demon is, you know, more, more potent than any demon in our world. Well, I kill demons all the time! I know, I know, but this one, no, I'm telling you, this one is more deadly than any of those demons that you've ever fought before. <laughs> No, no, seriously. So, the point is, it gets you uh, the little ornament hooks. It hooks you with them, and uh, it opens its its demon tree maw, and it devours you whole. That is terribly ridiculous! No, I, I know, look, I know you don't believe it, but I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you it's true. Now, in this other world, so you're devoured by a demon, but do not worry. Well, I, how do I worry I'm devoured by demon? No, I'm saying, but don't worry. What happens then is, you know, your sister Boo avenges you. You know, she takes on the demon, and she, you know, it's it's partially because it's partially sated, you know, by eating you, but she begins to kick it, you know, grabs a hold of it with the front paws and kicks with the back, knocks one of the the demon magical pouch ornaments off. It explodes at the base of the tree. The base of the tree breaks. The tree tips over, makes a loud noise, shatters all sorts of things. Um, this, of course, wakes your mother and father. They have to come out. Oh, my God, what did you cats do? You know, da 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 da, da. They have to fix the tree, but, but, of course, now the arrangement of ornaments and things is out of alignment. The demon is gone, and, you know, there's no more. Unfortunately, they, they don't know where you've gone, so they are very sad. And they miss you. Well, yeah, because I'm, you know, important. Right. And they, you know, end up spending even more attention on, on Boo. And as a result, of course, when they feed moist food, she gets all of it. Because that's all. Ah! You're, you're not around, so. That's not fair! No, but you're not, you've been, you've been devoured by a demon. So, you know, you don't know that she's getting it. You just told me she's getting it. That's totally not fair. Dad! You're a jerk! What? No, I'm not a jerk. I didn't... It's not... It's a story. He's making it up. It's not a real story. God, I know how stories work, but he told it. So that means you give her all the moist food? No, I, th that's not how stories work. He's, he's telling you about something that's not real. No, it is real. It's just another world. Dad, he says it's real! No, don't listen to him. Rory... Well, it's, it is real. It's, uh, Dad, you better not ever do that. Uh, well, then don't get eaten by a tree. Oh, uh, I wouldn't, because I would kill it. Then... It's clearly not a real story. Okay. Well, it is real. It's just another world. Oh, uh, well. Well, yes. All right, then. 
So anyway, yes, that's extra history for now. All right. Well, that's Christmas in another world then. Right. Exactly. Again, if you'd like to write into us, please castinwax at gmail.com. Tell me your problem and I will help you cope with that problem extra historically. Please, please write in. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great. All right. Well, let's move along to the next part of the show. Next part of the show is our first up. We have Decker and Hayes. Uh, it's a series about a pair of detectives. Uh, let's just jump right into it. I'm sure it'll catch you up as you go. They're trying to solve a uh, crime spree. There's this thing with the widow who's the who's the daughter of the mayor all sorts of craziness let's let's check it out decker and hayes series three episode eight out of mind by justin d Haar. Macy Hayes sat at her desk in the offices of the Decker and Hayes Detective Agency. Her gut still ached from where her partner and lover, Stella Decker, had hit her on her way out. To anyone hurt by the crime that plagued the city of Parlortown, Decker and Hayes were the best hope for justice. But the case of the widow and the recent raid and fire at Mama Wang's had been driving the pair into the ground. Macy knew, however, that the person who had driven them apart was still in the office. She stood up and walked into the front lobby. Jane, go home. I told you before, I don't work for you. You don't work for me because I'm a con, right? Well, my name is on the lease for this office, and you're trespassing. Miss Hayes, I don't think Miss Decker... Macy's hand flew the instant Jane mentioned Stella's name. The blow to Jane's face was hard enough to sweep her from her chair. Jane fell to the floor, blinking back tears, and glared up at Macy. I said go home, and don't let me see you here again. The secretary stood up. Her hand pressed to her face, where Macy's red handprint was already beginning to turn purple. She grabbed her coat and retreated from the office under Macy's icy glare. Macy moved to Jane's now vacant chair and sat down, taking a few deep breaths before picking up the phone and calling the mayor. Miss Hayes, is there something else? Excuse me? Miss Decker called my office not five minutes ago for a driver. Is everything all right? Everything's fine. We've made some headway on the case, but we need to meet in person. I'll come there. See you in half an hour. I'll make certain I'm free to meet you. Soon, Macy left the office. As she got into the truck and steered out into the mid-morning traffic, she realized just how lonely Parlor Town felt. She shook her head as though to clear it and turned her mind back toward the case at hand. Minutes later, she was walking down a hall in one parlor plaza adorned with portraits of the past mayors of Parlor Town. The last portrait before the door to the West Terrace was that of glass. The frame bore the placard, Fighting Corruption. Fighting Corruption? What other secrets are you keeping, Glass? Mayor Glass met Macy at the door to the terrace, smiling amiably as he opened the oak door for her. So nice to see you again, Miss Hayes. I apologize for the unusual meeting place, but I'm still not sure my office is secure. To what do I owe the pleasure? I need to know when you were with Decadence. The mayor's eyes narrowed almost imperceptibly. Macy's well-trained eye caught the change, however. She knew she was on thin ice. I don't really know what- You aren't about to go to the press about this, Mayor. I just need to know, when was the last time you saw Decadence? (sighs) All right. Let me think back. January, February, it must have been March of 1976. Yes, I'm sure it was then. It was just before the vote on the new water supply. Will that help? I hope so. Thank you for your time, Mayor. Happy to help in any way I can. The mayor showed Macy out before turning back toward his own office. Macy started Stella's truck and headed downtown, following a hunch. Her destination was Cherry Street General, the hospital where Stella Decker, Macy's partner in every sense of the word, was sitting at the bedside of a blonde woman. Stella? You came back. You came back. I knew you would come back. We're blades. We watch out for each other. Does this mean... Stella looked at the broken woman. Tasha was still restrained, still obviously drugged, and for a moment seeing her lying there so vulnerable stirred something Stella had not felt for a long, long time. No. It can't. I mean, it doesn't. I need to know about the cops. You said you were paid up. We were. I swear we were. You can ask Benny. He should be back. He's coming back. Stella watched her blonde ex-lover drift back into sleep before wheeling herself out of the room. As she exited, she nearly collided with Benny, the bouncer at what had been Mama Wang's. Miss Stella, I didn't think Miss Tasha would wake up before I came back. I I thought it would be good if I went back to Mama Wang- I mean, uh, your house. I was just- Benny, who paid the cops off? 
What? Who paid the cops not to raid Mama Wang's? I did. Every month, Miss Tasha gave me the money to give to Officer Kelser. Every month. This month, too? You're sure you paid? All of it? I'd swear it, Miss Stella. I'd never steal from Miss Tasha. There was a long moment while Stella took Benny apart with her eyes. The large man fidgeted uncomfortably under her scrutiny. <sighs> I believe you. So where are you coming back from? Uh, well, I was just at Mama Wang... Your house. I thought it would be good to go, you know, see what was going on there, and, well... Well, what? All the girls are gone. There's a whole lot of that yellow police tape, and there was a sign on the door. Benny pulled a folded paper from his back pocket. There was still tape on it from where it had hung on the door of the house of ill repute. He unfolded the paper and held it out for Stella to read. In neat hand lettering it read, Mama Wang's is closed, permanently. Underneath it was signed, The Widow. Benny, what precinct is Officer Kelser from? Uh, the station on Cyber? No, not that one. Uh, maybe the one on... Never uh, mind. Where can I find him? There I can help you, Miss Stella. He's usually walking the beat the block over from Mama Wang's. That whole strip there. Thanks, Benny. Stella turned to wheel herself back to the elevator, but Benny called out to her as the doors opened, stopping her in her tracks. Miss Stella! What's gonna happen to Mama Wang's? I don't know, Benny. Just look after yourself. And Miss Tasha... I'm going to look out for Miss Tasha. Stella looked at Benny for a moment, before nodding and turning back toward the elevators. Once on the ground floor, she was about to pass through the lobby to head for the driver Mayor Glass had thoughtfully provided for her. She stopped short. Stella would recognize the heavy-set and heavily bandaged man in the lobby anywhere. You let me go, you hear? I'm a police officer! Two orderlies were struggling with the detective, who was obviously making for the door, while a receptionist tried to reason with him. Stella knew, however, that reason was not one of Bobko's strong suits. Stella wheeled herself around a corner, out of the struggling police officer's line of sight. I'm sorry, sir, but you can't be discharged until Dr. Signs are I don't on. care about any goddamn doctors, you stupid bitch. Let me the hell go. I've got my rights. Sir, don't make us have to sedate you. Get the police on the phone. Now! Tell them Detective Sergeant Wallace Clifford Bopko is being held against his Bradley, will. Hold his arm! What Nurse. are you doing? Hey! Hey! The sound of the scuffle died down, and for a moment the waiting room was completely silent. Suddenly a woman scoffed and said something about the state of the police force. There was a murmur of assent from the other waiting patients, and it was as though it had never happened. Stella wheeled herself back into the room and passed Bopko, who was now being lifted onto a stretcher. Hey! Hey, you bitch! No, not you! You! Look at the detective's angry slurring faded behind her as Stella headed for the mayor's loaned town car. The driver helped the detective into the car, and they pulled away, headed towards the area the locals called The Warren. Minutes later, Miss Macy Hayes pulled the truck into the Cherry Street lot and walked into the waiting room. Can I help you? Yes. My name is Macy Hayes, and I'm investigating a case that involves a former patient here. Oh, I'm sorry, but our records are sealed. If you have a warrant, I might be able to help you, but otherwise... Macy never broke eye contact with the receptionist as she slid a hundred-dollar bill in Mayor Glass's card across the desk. The receptionist's eyes flickered to the money, the card, and back to Macy. I'll have someone take you right down, Bradley! An orderly nodded and led Macy through the double doors, where Detective Bobco was sitting on a bench, looking around the room dejectedly as an orderly stood next to him, his hand firmly on his shoulder. Hey! You! What the hell are you doing back here? Macy never broke her stride, ignoring the sedated detective as Bradley led her down a flight of stairs and into the slightly damp storeroom that held the hospital's records. All right. March of 1976, nine months later, plus or minus. Where would records of births from August through October of 1976 be? Bradley pointed her to a file cabinet, pulled open two of the drawers, and wished her luck before seeing himself out. The smell of dust and mold was thick in the air as Macy began to search the records. She pored over the birth certificates. After a half hour, she had been through all but three certificates, and had come up with only four girls who might have been the mayor's daughter. All right, Mace. Last three. Rivera Maria. Nope. Black hair. Father Diego Rivera. Baker Shannon. Let's see. Red hair. Freckles. Father Sean. Not likely. <sighs> Last one. Jesus. Macy stared at the last birth certificate while she jotted down the name of the girl and her listed parents. She hastily piled the documents back into their folders and slammed the file cabinet, leaving the record room at a run and taking the stairs to the first floor two at a time. She ran through the waiting room without bothering to stop at the desk. We couldn't hold him if he wanted to leave. We just... Miss? Miss Hayes! Macy burst through the doors, but stopped dead when she saw Detective Bobco down the block, leaning on the wall of a dingy delicatessen for support. 
directly between her and Stella's truck. She muttered and ducked into the alley next to the hospital. She peered out quickly to see which way Bobco was headed when there was suddenly a blur in her vision. A length of cord had been thrown over her head from behind. Her attacker pulled her backwards into the alley. You were warned to drop the case, Miss Hayes. Macy dug at the silk cord, but she couldn't quite get her fingers beneath it. She instead tried to gouge out her attacker's eyes. You, you son of a... (coughs) The man behind her ducked her grasping hands and tightened the cord, his gloved hands pressing against the back of her neck as she willed herself to stay calm, to think. It won't do to have you prying into things that are none of your concern. Drop the case. You won't be warned again. Macy picked up her foot to drive a heel into the man's toes, but before she could land the blow, she was thrown bodily against the wall of the alley. Her vision exploded into white as her head collided with brick and she went down hard. Hey, it's the private dyke. What the hell happened to you, bitch? Macy's vision cleared and she stood up, her head pounding. Bobco was sprawled on the sidewalk, bleeding from his nose. He was slowly trying to draw, having forgotten in the heat of the moment that he had neither his gun nor his gun hand. Did you see his face? Christ, my head. Goddamn bastard. Listen, you ape, did you see his face? No, I wasn't looking. I think he went that way. Macy took off in the direction Bobco had indicated with his stump, turning the corner of Cherry Street and Hammond. The sidewalk was empty. Damn it! It had taken an hour and two passes up Column Avenue before Stella had spotted the beat cop she hoped was Officer Kelser. She had her driver park her car and help her to her chair, and wheeled herself into the diner. The space was narrow between the counter and the front wall, and it took her a few minutes to maneuver to where the officer was nursing a cup of coffee. Mind if I join you, Officer Kelser? What do you need? Excuse me? <laughs> uh, you're asking to sit down with the only cop for a mile and a half. You're either trying to report something, which would make you either suicidal or stupid, or you've got something to ask me. And since you've got my name, I assume it's the latter. You've got me. I need to know about the raid at Mama Wang's. I hear that- Keep your voice down, will ya? The widow's got people everywhere. I hear they were paid up with the department. Yeah, they were. And it wasn't my precinct that called the raid. Wasn't even our guys on it. I hear Bobco down at the 1-6 let it. It doesn't add up. You're damn right. The girls over at Wang's have enemies. They're higher up than at my precinct. We've got nothing to do with the widow, but you watch yourself. She's got eyes and ears everywhere. He leaned closer to her, lowering his voice further. If you want to find the truth, you should start at Maison X. But they've been out of business for- Years and years now. It's ancient history, but it's not buried as deep as some people would hope. But that's all I can tell you. And if they keep ticketing you, find me again. It's clear enough that you should be able to park in the blue spots. The officer's bluff seemed to assuage the curious stares of the other diners. Kelser wished Stella luck and excused himself, leaving a ten on the counter behind him. Stella wheeled herself out of the diner a few minutes later. She heard Brake squeal and cursed. Her own pickup truck had just stopped short, and Macy was already getting out. Stella signaled to her driver, but the beautiful blonde woman reached her first. Stella, we need to talk. Get in the truck. Who the hell do you think... Oh my god, what happened to your throat? It's not important now. Please, Stella, forget what happened this morning and hear me out. There was a long moment while the woman's eyes locked. The driver stepped forward to help Stella into the town car, but she waved him off. All right, help me into the truck. Less than a minute later, they were on their way. What happened? I went to Cherry Street. I figured Decadence would have had her baby there. My notes are in my bag. And look at the last name. Oh my god. Do you know what this means? We don't know that she's the one, but I don't know how to explain it otherwise. And there's more. I was attacked. Who who did it? I don't know. I didn't see his face. But he's the voice of the widow. He told me to drop the case. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Unless... Unless he doesn't work for the widow at all. Is all forgiven and forgotten between Macy and Stella? Whose name did Macy find in the hospital records? Who does the voice really work for? Tune in to next week's episode, Past Forgotten. In that episode of Epic Echoes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Jane Vance was Ava Rosenblatt, Mayor Glass was Brian LaRanger, The Voice was Justin Ha, Officer Bobko was Elijah Weatherhan, Benny was Jordan D. White, Tasha was Guinevere Eckert, The Receptionist was Tong Wen Wong, and Kelsa was Jacob Thompson. 
The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you, Rory. I do appreciate that. Now, speaking of stuff, um, uh, yeah, it was a bad transition. Speaking of stuff, uh, it's time for more extra history in the form of this day in history. Now, as I said, this day, according to the podcast, is December 14th. So, Rory, what can you tell me about December 14th? It's funny you ask. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Roy Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton. On December 14, 1900, German physicist Max Planck publishes his groundbreaking study of the effect of radiation on a black body substance and the quantum theory of modern physics is born. Let's listen. Excellent. I, Max Planck, have finally completed my experiments with radiation, which will enable me to build a huge death cannon to destroy the world. Now all I need to do is return these library books and my reign of terror can begin. Hey, Jean-Pierre, I heard that Max Planck has all these great library books. Would you like to steal them with me? <laughs> I'm evil in French. Okay. The books are ours! Oh no, my books! These are some really dirty books you have here, Max Planck. Well... Yes, I got some radiation on them. Why? Oh, is the, that a problem? The library will not like that. Really? They will find you. <laughs> oh no! You have shown me the error of my ways, insidious Frenchman. Now I must return these books, clean them, and go home to destroy my radiation cannon. Wait, I'm not done. There are all these flaws in your theory with your death ray. Hey look, shut up. Max Planck did not, in fact, destroy the world with his death cannon, and we have French people to thank. How bizarre. Return your books in the same condition you got them in. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hello, hold day, le téléphone. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Gas and Wax. And I just want to point out that while those Frenchmen were helpful, they were in fact terrible at their job, which was criminality. You might have noticed they went in to steal the books, but instead ended up helping the world by telling him that he should not return dirty books, and also that he should not destroy the world with a death cannon. So, you know, really, I just want to point out that even though those French people were very helpful and did very nice things, and we benefited from the attentions and the intentions of those French people, I should say that they they are failures. They they completely didn't do what they were trying to do, which was steal something. They, you know, what they should have done is taken those books, be they, you know, slightly dirty or not, and sold them on the black market. You know, they could have, if they were irradiated books, perhaps they could have made even more money, actually, really, because they could have sold them for their irradiated purposes. Anyway, the point is, look, French people are not good, and you should return books in the, the condition you get them in, not irradiated. Be careful with that, and don't destroy the world with the death cannon as well. But, you know, I just want to point out again, French people, not as good as regular people. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And, you know, I don't like the French. You really don't like the French people very much. Why is that? Well, because they're the French people. I mean, come on. Who likes them? I took French in high school for many years. You know, I thought it was kind of cool. Well, <laughs> speaking the language is, is nothing to do with the people, let me just say. The language is a beautiful thing uh, because, you know, it, you can't help but pick it up. You know, you pick up snippets of it. You're, you're very close to the French people in England, of course. Um, but the people are disgusting. You know, they're smelly and they're ugly and they're mean and they're rude. You know, so, look, all I'm saying is that nothing good ever came of them, and nothing will. That's a kind of a big pronouncement. I mean, for example, you just said that they saved the world. Yes, but I was saying that they did it by accident. They saved the world by trying to be bad and failing, because they fail. They are failures as a race of people. I wouldn't call them a I mean, they're not really a, a race, are they? Well, fine. Nationality. But the, the point is, I hate them. Right. All right, well... Let's move right along. Move right along to, 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 to what? Oh, right. Uh, Frank Allen interviews. Now, Frank obviously isn't here today, um, but he did do a, a special Frank Allen interview for us for the holiday season. And um, it's got a very special guest. I'm sure you can guess who it would be for, for Christmas, who it would be. It's not. I'll give you a hint. It's not Jesus. So eh, that's too bad. Yeah, that would have been kind of good, I guess. But maybe next time. Maybe next time. Uh, he, of course, interviewed. Well, you'll see. Frank Allen Interviews, starring Frank Allen. Hello, my name is Frank Allen, and this episode of Frank Allen Interviews may not be appropriate for the ears of children. That's right, I, Frank Allen, am going after one of the most notorious people in the world. I am going to interview St. Nicholas, Chris Kringle, Santa Claus. Most children I know love this man. And that's why I don't recommend that they listen to this, because this is going to be a no-holds-barred interview. As most of you know, I'm sure I am an investigative interviewer, a very serious journalist. I am not going to let Santa Claus skate by on the easy softball questions that most shows give him. I am going to go after the man and kind of find out what he's really all about. So, like I said, I'd recommend you have your children leave the room. I recommend you prepare yourself, because if you still have an affection for him, you might be startled by what you hear. Thank you very much. And now, Frank Allen interviews. The Santa interview, live, via telephone. 
Hello, Mr. Claus. Why, hello, Frank Allen. Ho, 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 ho. How are you today? Merry Christmas, Frank Allen. Merry Christmas to you as well, Mr. Claus. Now, uh, now, actually, that's the first question I have is actually, what should I address you as? Uh, Mr. Claus seems like the instinctive thing to call you, but Santa Claus, that's just from St. Nicholas, right? So that's not your real name, is it? Well, no, my name is Chris Kringle, of course. Ho, 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 ho. Now, that, wait a minute now. That doesn't, Chris Kringle, there's no Nicholas involved in that at all. I thought your your name was Nicholas, right? Well, you can call me St. Nicholas. You can call me Chris Kringle. You can call me any of those things. Oh, no, no ha- now hang on. This is an important question. I need to get this straight. Are you Nicholas or are you Christopher? What's on your birth certificate? How about that? What, what country were you born in? Obviously, you weren't born on the North Pole. No, no, Frank Allen. Santa doesn't like when you ask those sorts of questions. Oh, no, but oh, I, you oh. agreed to an unedited interview, an uncensored, all, all, all truth on the table. I can ask any question. Well, Yes, of course, but I'm, I'm Santa Claus. I just make toys. Oh, ho, 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 ho. All right, look, I'll, I call, I'll call you Mr. Claus. Call me Santa. All right, I'll call you, fine, I'll call you Santa. But I, I do want to get back to this identity thing, because that's an important, you know, clarification. I, people don't understand, you know, you can't just go around being whoever you want. You have to be who, you know, the government has you listed. There at. is no government on the North Pole. I am the government. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Well, that's another, okay, let's get to that then, if we want to get to... Important question, sure. Let me ask you this. If you're your own country, now you've said that, you've put that on the table. Yes, yes. That's fine. How is it that you violate American airspace with such impunity? First of all, you have surveillance on the American citizens, the the children, and presumably the adults as well. Because you see us when we're sleeping, when we're awake, things like that. And so that's, first of all, that's a a flagrant violation of of our rights as American citizens. Second of all, you violate American airspace on Christmas. You fly over, you know, with this, uh, this, uh, Reindeer well, Mr. Allen, well, let me say, I do have a treaty with the United States government, oh, ho, 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 that lets me come in on United States airspace on Christmas to give presents to the children. And that is a very good thing, because who doesn't like happy children? Oh, ho, 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 okay, but that still doesn't excuse the, the, the blatant civil rights violation of your big brother surveillance tactics. D- now, I want to know, do you have cameras in our houses? Of course not. I use Christmas magic to see the children. Christmas magic. Okay. So, it only works on Christmas. No, it works all year. That's how I see them and see whether they deserve presents for Christmas. <laughs> right. Okay. So, you can see anyone at any time. Well, of course I can. Well, okay. What about when those children are in the bathroom, going to the bathroom? Can you see children going to the... What about when they're in the, the showers? They're taking a shower or they're they're in the bath. You can see the children then? Well, Santa would never look at children in the bathtub, of course. Okay, but what if they're doing bad things? What if there's a child who only does bad things in the in the bathrooms? You know, what if what if in some locker room of a high school uh, there are children getting beaten? Well, you don't, you don't see it. So now those kids who beat someone, they're going to get presents because... They did it in a bathroom, because you're not looking. Well, Santa can see that, of course. So you do. So you do look at teenage children, young children, in their locker rooms while they're, you know, changing in the showers. No, 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 that's that's not what I said. <laughs> well, no, I don't understand where you're going with this, because if you can see them beating up the child, then you're seeing them naked, then you're seeing the, I mean, you no, know. No, Frank Allen, no. Santa Claus does not want to see naked children, no. <laughs> well, look, look, Santa, look, okay? I don't, let's make it, let's make it, you know what? Fine. I didn't want to do this, but let's make it concrete. If if you're if you're if you're if you're ducking around all this, you know, hypotheticals, I'm talking about I'm talking about an incident, Mr. Claus. Santa, I'm talking, please. Uh, yeah, well, Santa, look, I, I'm talking about when I was in high school. When I was a freshman in high school, I was only 14 years old. Okay. Now I was getting picked on. I was getting beaten by Mark Swanson in the shower. He was naked. I was naked. All right. There was no funny business going on there. He was just punching me. He was whipping me with the towel. It was, it was humiliating. All right. And at Christmas time, Mark came to school after Christmas break. And I was sure, I was sure he would have had a lousy, terrible Christmas break because I knew, I knew that you would have seen him do that to me and you would not have rewarded him for that. But he didn't. He was happy. He got presents. He got lots of them. He got more than me. When I was a victim, I don't understand how you get off allowing someone to get away with that. Now, answer my question. Did you see him beat me, or did you turn a blind eye and then reward him 
unjustly. Which was it? Well, well, Frank, I... I don't know. It was many years ago. Santa, Santa does not have a good memory. Oh, that's very convenient. Short memory. So, so people could get away with it if you forget. No, no, I, I, I remember for a year. You see, I, I have so many things to remember. So many children to to check on on my list. I have to remember everything for one year, one year only. Well, that's very convenient, sir. That is very convenient. Doesn't help me any. You know, doesn't help me being humiliated by Mark Swanson and thinking at least one person is looking out for me. Well, you know what? Apparently there wasn't. Some saint you are. But, but Frank Allen, what about all the gifts I, I gave you? Don't you don't you love Santa Claus? Oh, that's very nice, you know? That's very nice. You, you try to buy my love. You give me presents, and that's supposed to make up for it. I don't see you all year, you know? My life is, is, is hard all year long. And then one, one day a year, you come by and you give me stuff. Well, thanks. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. You know? But that's supposed to make up for it? I don't think so. Well, what? What do you expect Santa to do? Hang out with you and take care of you? Well, that would have been nice, you know? That would have been nice. I, I wasn't able to take care of myself back then. I mean, I'm, I'm fine now. So I could have used it, you know? That's not Santa's job. Right. You know, of course not. Just write it off. It's fine. You know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to live it, so... It's fine. Of course you can say, you know, it's not my job. Oh, well, you know what? It's not... It's not my job. What's not your job? I don't know. Look... I don't know. I don't know what we're what we're even talking about. Fine. You know what? Let's move on. Yes, please, please. I I would rather talk about all the presents I can bring to children. <laughs> okay, enough laughing. You know, I this isn't a pleasant topic, so I don't know why you're laughing. No, I'm it. not. I'm just trying to keep it light. Well, it's not light. Okay. So let me ask you this: What's in it for you? What's the scam? What's your scam? What's your deal? What I don't. I don't know what you mean. You give presents to all the children, you know, I don't... What's in it for you? You get cookies, so what? Obviously, that's not enough. Giving gifts is its own reward. <laughs> no, I don't buy that. I'm sorry. No. Look, you've got all these powers. You've got all these mystical powers. I think it's some sort of, you know, you give gifts to children, and the 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 hope energy that they put into the world gives you power. Now, again, I, I don't think that the gift giving is the ends. I think it's the means. I think you get... You, you make these presents or buy these presents. Well, I make them. Of course, make well, them. Whatever, we'll get to that. But we, you make these presents and you give them to children. Children send their love and their joy and their hope to you. And you, that's how you, you, I mean, obviously, like you said, you can spy on anyone in the world. So, no, I don't spy. Well, I you just, say potato. No, but no, like, I watch children to see so I can give them presents. Oh, oh no, okay. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The point is you, you have this, it's a magical power. And uh, again, uh, it's been well documented, flying around the world in one day to all... Christian children, by the way, bigot. No, no it's I'm fine. Move on, move on. Uh, flying around all the places is obviously, again, magic. Magical. But what I want to know is what are you doing with that magic? I mean, obviously, it gives you immortality and makes it so that you can live forever. So in a way, you're, you're feeding off the dreams of children and the hope of children in order to, to live forever. Is that all that you get out of it? Or is there some other sick, twisted ends to which you're, you're building? Oh, Frank, Helen, no, you, you, you make me sound so sinister. <laughs> well, it is kind of, it, like I said, it sounds kind of sinister. You, you do these terrible things. I mean, my, ch my children, I don't have children, but if I had children, do I want you sucking the joy? Joy and hope out of them to keep yourself alive. I mean, that's not a nice thing to do. If I was sucking joy I out of people... I do not suck joy. I spread joy. I give joy. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, enough with the hose. But you, you well, okay, I, that's true. You don't take the joy away from children, but the joy that they feel empowers you somehow. And I guess for now, look, we'll just say that's enough to say that you, you live forever. Now, I'll be, be I'll be generous and I'll say that's all you get out of it. Fine. That's not the worst deal in the world for everyone. But. And they also get joy and love. I am a good person. Well, that's what that's what they all say. I'm sure that's what they all say. But okay. Um, back to you being a bigot. No, no, I, I'm not a bigot. I, I only give to Christian children because they are the only ones who want my presents. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, right. Yeah, Jewish kids. They hate presents. They just. Poor, I hate no, but how inappropriate would it be for me to give children presents when they were undesiring of them? Well, the children want presents. I think all children want presents at all times. Right, but 
It would be awkward with the parents if I, you know, broke into their house and left gifts for their children. Some people might be uncomfortable with that. Well, that's understandable. And to be honest with you, I'm a little stranged out that everyone's not uncomfortable with it. I don't want you breaking into my house. I mean, I guess to some extent it doesn't matter because you can, you can look in on us anyway, you know, and that's already creepy. But to actually come into the house, I, you know, what are you going to do there? Well, I'm going to leave presents, of course. Right, 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 right. But I mean, what you have, you know, and eat some food. You eat our cookies. The cookies are left out for me. Well, all right, but who? what's to stop you from, you know, just sneaking into the kitchen is what I'm saying. Look, all I'm saying is if you're sneaking around someone's house when they're asleep... No, 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 no. I am I am a good person. I don't only go into people's houses if I'm invited in. I do not sneak into anyone's house that does not want me there. I am Santa Claus. I give joy and love and presents to children. Yeah, what are you doing? No, Santa, Santa. No, what, what was that? What was that? Oh, sorry. No, that was one of my... Uh, you know, that was Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. He has a shiny nose, you know. No, I know, yeah, I know who Rudolph is. I've heard the song. That didn't, he said dad. Are you Rudolph's dad? That's a, that's incredibly sick, if that's true. No, no, no. He, oh, everyone here in the North Pole calls me dad, you know, because I'm, because I'm Father Christmas. <laughs> what? That doesn't, I mean, I, yeah, you're, I, I know the term Father Christmas. The but... French call me Père Noël. That means Father Christmas as well. Well, sure, uh, but usually you don't call you, you know, Dad. Nobody, if people sit on your lap and say Dad, what I'd like is you'd be like, oh, you're, I'm not your son. I mean, you're not my son. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Dad, who are you serious? Who are you talking No, no, I'm Santa. Rudolph, Rudolph, it's good to, to hear from you, but please, I am on the phone right now. Wait, that, no, that's... That sounds like Scapey. Oh, I don't know who Scapey is. Scapey, that's a strange name. Scapey, is a strange name. No, please, I am Santa. So, please. Is this, is this Jordan? No, I, well, yes, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. Why are you pretending to be Santa Claus? Um, well, uh, cause I, you, because you, you know, you wanted to book Santa Claus for your show and I, so I, I, you know, I said I could, and I just called and. Well, why didn't you just get the real Santa Claus? Wow. Um, because there, because there isn't real Santa Claus. What? Because there's there's no such thing as Santa Claus. There's Santa Claus isn't real. What do you mean? Well, okay. Um, well, right. You know how you were talking about Santa only gives presents to children, and that's why he doesn't give presents to you because you're fully grown. Right. Yeah. No. Because I once I grew up, moved out of my parents' house, he stopped giving me presents, and I said, okay, well, that makes sense. He's he's for children. Right. Well, right. I mean, it is. It's a it's a thing for children, but it's not. It's not that he doesn't buy presents for adults. It's that he doesn't buy presents at all. Um, well, no, I mean he does. I, I I got some of that. No, you. I mean you did. It was your parents bought those presents and just wrapped them and wrote Santa on them from Santa, and then the parents put them there on Christmas Eve while the child is asleep. You what? The parents put the like parents buy the presents ahead of time and. They hide them somewhere in the house so the child doesn't see them. And on Christmas Eve, you put them down there when the kid's asleep. And then when the kid gets up in the morning... Up. No, but I don't think it make it... Because the, and the cookies, I put out cookies and you're saying my, yeah, my I mean, parents they, ate... Yeah. They, they ate the cookies. And that's why that guy, Mark, he, um, his parents just you know, bought him presents. It was not like there was a list, really. Oh. Well, that, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, okay, so why did you choose to humiliate... Me like no, this. I was I that, but I wasn't trying to. I just I was thinking it would be a nice episode of your show. I, I, I mean, I didn't know you were gonna attack Santa Claus. Well, I'm an investigative interviewer. That's really not. That's not a real thing. I it is. Think. I. It's me. And also, I mean, I always ask hard-getting questions. Why? Why would you? You think I'm gonna do a puff piece on Santa Claus? Well, I, yeah, I thought it was for you know Christmas. I you were just gonna in, talk to Santa Claus. I. Didn't think you were gonna try well, to. Uh, you should have thought better, and instead you you say this. Um, you choose to just pretend and lie to me, and come on my show and humiliate me. And this isn't not this is not a nice thing to do. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. I no, I didn't. I didn't mean to. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Apology is. I might accept your apology, but I. This interview, I think, is over. So, I mean, there's no Santa Claus for it to be over with. So, look, I'm sorry. I, I didn't think it would upset you. I, I mean, I figured. Well, I didn't think you'd know. Right? Yeah. No, I just, I would never find out. You know, I'd be lied to for my entire life. Well, I, instead of just well, most of it, most, most of my my life. I, you know, I'm sorry, Frank. I didn't. It's fine. It's fine. Uh 
well, obviously, we're not going to, you know, that was a waste of an interview. We're not going to air this. I don't think I'm going to have anything for the show now. Well, I mean, we could air this. No, we can't air. I'm not going to, don't put this on that. I'm not going to put this on a podcast. Don't be stupid. Well, we, I mean, if you don't have anything else. We don't have, then that's too bad. There's nothing there. Well, I can't have nothing. I have to have something on the podcast. Come on. No. Well, oh, come on. No. Well, fine. You know, then I guess we just have nothing for the podcast for this week. Uh, that, yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I won't be in for oh, it. Come on, come on. It's just, Frank, it's just Santa Claus. Like, it's not a big deal. For you? Because you knew. Did your, you know, I guess your parents let you in on that little gag. That hilarious, practical joke that they played on you. Well, mine didn't, so... Well, I, but I'm sure that they just, they probably thought you knew and were just playing along. I mean, you, you know, people just play along. Yeah. No, a lot of people have played along. I've, yeah, I've noticed. A lot of people just <laughs> playing along. Great. Thanks. Uh, look, I, you know what? I gotta, I gotta go. All right, Frank, I, I'm sorry. I just, I... God damn it. I say, Jordan, that's, that's not exactly the nicest thing you've ever done. Well, I, I know, but I was, I, look, I was just trying to, I was playing along. I mean, that's what you do with, when you're Santa Claus, you just play, I mean, you know, regarding Santa Claus, you just play along and everybody kind of does it like, oh, I'm all in, we're in on it, but we're going to pretend he's not. I don't know what I'm talking about. Clearly, yes. But I didn't even mean pretending to be Santa Claus, because, you know, you're right, everyone does play along with that, but I mean playing it on the, the show when he asked you not to. Well, but I didn't have anything else. What else am I going to do? I, I, I got a, a podcast to fill. It's Christmas-themed. This is a Christmas episode. What do you want me to do? Well, you know, fine. I mean, I could have done another another segment. Well, I'm not going to have... Look, I mean, come on, Rory. Don't be don't be ridiculous. We're not, this isn't your show. It's my show. I'm my show. Well, you're, you have a part of it, too, this week, but, but it's... I mean, but it's my show... And so I want look I I don't have to justify myself. I think I'm justified in doing that. All right, but uh just remind me never to be embarrassed in front of you. That's unlikely. Well, I'll do my best. Before this you were going to feel free to be embarrassed. Well, no, look, just let's move on. Right, let's move on. Uh, anyway, uh next show is Epic Echoes. I don't believe this is a Christmas themed episode at all either, but it is called Cry Havoc. And let's hear it. The Backward Series, Season 4, Episode 6, Cry Havoc, by Daniel Schwartz. Having vanquished the insidious Sultan of Ice, the daring Max Thornfield and his equally daring Flashpack came home from Antarctica to their palatial spatial home, the Flashpoint. With them came Fritz Fuzzbottom, a Catman wizard of great skill, cunning, and ability to irritate. In his brief time following the Flashpack, he'd been to Flashpoint a few times, but entering the home of his heroes still filled him with excitement. Unfortunately for the Flashpack, they were playing host to another unwelcome guest. Stellar! Oh no. Quick. Take over. Miss Singh, you must understand there are many variables to consider in developing a comprehensive translating protocol. You left a hamburger on my transducer! I don't care what you were trying to do. Strontium-79 is irreparably corrupted by the presence of lettuce. Three months of work down the drain because you needed to do some snacking in my, not yours, still off, but my workshop. I'll beat you so hard you'd think the Betatron has come back! Oh my god. This point, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. With so many of our old rogues gallery making a comeback, it'd almost make sense. Ah, Betatron's a pansy anyway. I could've, I could've taken him by myself. Yeah, you turned her, he could! I don't know, Dralis. You said that about the Sultan, but, well, if Puck hadn't been there... That doesn't count! It was slippery! Oh, for the love of petrochemicals, what's going on now? Looks like a massive spike in ambient peril in southern New Zealand. Maybe it's another one of your old villains! Well, the Sultan of Ice was the last one, and we destroyed him and his frost palace, so... Oh, no. 
no. Oh, yes. Let's do this crazy thing. And so the Dauntless Flash Pack soon found themselves in New Zealand, flying hover bikes over rolling hills fraught with stampeding sheep. What kind of scared them all so much? Probably that. Slatter was pointing at an enormous spiked wheel that was tearing up the countryside with vicious abandon and a deafening roar as it sped northward toward more populous areas of the island nation. Sounds like a reasonable conclusion, Jill. That monster. Those poor animals must be terrified out of their minds. We'll have a lot more than sheep to worry about if that war wheel reaches any cities. Molly's right. We need to stop him. Molly can stop the wheel. Leave the rest to me. You're so confident, Draris. Also so suicidal. The Sultan of Ice was much more powerful than he was the last time we fought him. Kriegmeister might be the same way. Slider's right. We'll take this as a team. Flashpack! Flashback! The flashback swooped down towards the war wheel, only to be met midair by a powerfully built older man with a pointed helmet, a jetpack, and a pair of powered gauntlets. Ah, Flashpack! My old nemesis! Come once again to be vanquished by the unstoppable master of war, I see! Unstoppable? Are you kidding? Yeah, more like, like, very stoppable! <laughs> Very nice, Miss Thornfield. One would almost think you had a brain to go to your exquisitely violent physique. Oh, it's on, jackass. Indeed it is, my voluptuous Valkyrie. Let's see who the master of hand-to-hand is as your furthest friends battle my war dogs. Oh, crap, it's right, we're my dogs. Really, I hadn't noticed. Molly, you take the war wheel. Drowskeen and I will take care of the Kriegmeister. The rest of you deal with the war dogs. No sweat. Jimmy, you take right. I'll take left. Fertress, get their attention. What? As Jimmy and Slaughter tried to flank the war dogs using Fertress's delicious spell-slinging bait, Max, Drellis, and Keen circled the horrific Hun and his gargantuan gloves. Bah, Schweinhund, your girlish leader and your spineless scientist will help you not at all in your struggle. Mighty Drellis, you shall see that your victories in the past of it, mere flukes, and an iron the Kriegmeister, and the greatest fistfighter in all the multiverse! Girlish? Spineless? Flukes? Eat fist, pointy hat! Punches flew between the two scrappers. Dralis's natural superhuman strength matched by the nefarious Kriegmeister's powerful, strength-enhancing gauntlets. The fierce combatants traded blows like Sudokemon cards at a comic book convention, while Max and Keen nervously circled, looking for some advantage to exploit against their opponents. Sweet sassy Saturn! They're really wailing on each other. No kidding, we really need to help Dralis. That's easier said than done. We'll need to strike just as the moment is right. When will that be? Probably when he thinks he's winning. He'll get cocky, then we swoop in and attack him from both sides. Not even Kriegmeister can resist a two-sided attack. Oh, okay. I'll wait for your signal. All right, take a position over there. The two heroes hovered opposite each other on either side of Kriegmeister, watching him trade punches with their adopted sister and best friend, respectively. For minutes, neither seemed to be gaining advantage until a single blow from the Marshal of Misery sent Dralis hurtling miles into the distance. Now, Sarah! Max drove toward Kriegmeister, but Keen flinched, filled with terror at the sight of Dralis flying away. As such, the villain only had one target to track, and an overhead rabbit punch knocked Max to the ground, shattering his hoverbike and numerous bones. Max! No! Bah, again, Spinehorn! Your cowardice has cost him his life! I shall smash him to smithereens! Kriegmeister descended to where Max lay broken and barely conscious and raised a gauntleted fist. Now you die, Swordfield! That's my line. What? 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 Bone and brain matter rained down from the hole blown in Kriegmeister's skull. With a last stupefied gasp, the German vermin twitched fell and died. Unbelievable. A self-proclaimed master of war who doesn't carry or use a gun. How was he ever a threat? Banal? But how? With common sense, Thornfield, the same way I do everything. Now don't move unless you want an infusion of cold iron right where it would do us the most good. His pistol at the ready, the flashpack's greatest nemesis, stood over their leader as the other members and Fertress gathered in the air around them. What are you doing here? I keep a safe house here. It's quiet, out of the way. I come here to be left alone. It seems you can't even do me that courtesy. Kriegmeister was going to destroy this entire archipelago. We all see how effective your methods were at stopping him, as opposed to how my methods failed cataclysmically. Okay, Mr. B, you win. You're holding all the cards. What do you want? Finally, a voice of reason. What I want, Kovacs, is for you and your little band to vacate the premises. I personally plan to go back to my safe house and destroy it. Now I'll need to find a new one. Wait, you don't want to fight us? Here? Now? It's 9 a.m. local time for f***ing 
fuck's sake. I haven't even had my first cup of tea for the day. Why would I want to fight you? It's just, well, we've had a lot of old villains coming back to haunt us lately, so we figured, well, you know. Old villains. Really? Maybe someone's got it in for you. Oh, that you don't? Trust me, you obsequious little felonoid. When I come to destroy you, I won't wait for everyone else to jump on the bandwagon. Now get the hell off my property! Back at Flashpoint, Max lay in the infirmary recovering while the other members of the Flashpack nursed various wounds accrued in battle. Besides Max's, the most grievous of these was felt in an uncluttered room on the fourth floor, whose walls were littered with degrees and awards for Sarah Keen, Doctor of Brilliantology. She sat on her bed, her head in her hands, weeping. <sighs> Too scared. He could have died. I let him down. I let them all down. I wasn't strong enough. Just like, just like with Julie. Without thinking, Keen found her hands reaching toward a small metallic circlet on the headboard of her bed. When she realized what she was doing, she jerked them away. No, not again. I can't remember these feelings. Still, I can't help anyone like this. I need to give more. I can't let them down again. Keen took up the circlet, adjusted some dials, and set it on her head. There was a glow and a low buzzing as the device seared away portions of her nervous system, releasing inhibitors for her emotional centers and turning the world from a tearful haze into a sharp and rational clarity. <sighs> Much better. Now, the data. Hours later, Jimmy convened the rested and refreshed flashback in a classic Kovacs jam session to try and figure out what could be causing this recent spate of activity on the villain front. These attacks seem to be following very close one after the other. What does that mean? A controlled stream. Look, I told you, I think my aim is improving. The villains arrive at a pace guaranteed to push us to our limits and weaken our reserves. The entire effort is very well-timed. All evidence points to a single insidious mastermind. Are you okay, Sarah? I'm functional. Now, as masterminds go, our list is very extensive. But this particular mastermind seems to know the schedules of our lives, interrupting us as seemingly the worst moments. Who knows us that well? Mr. Bonal, though I calculate an 83% chance he wasn't involved. More likely, the facts of the matter point to Dr. Von Wicked. One of our oldest and most prolific villains. Good job, Keen. My study is exhaustive. Oh, I figured, you know, I, I mean that you, uh... Max's apology was cut short by a flash of light and the appearance of a group of older people dressed in leather, a crabby-looking teenager, and a clown. What the- Don't worry, guys. It's us. I mean you. I mean... Let me explain. Are these newcomers the flashpack of the future? Will the flashpack of the present stop Dr. Von Wicked in time? Sit in rapt attention next week as Epic Echoes continues with Old and Wise. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dralis Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tongwen Wong was Sarah Keen. Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertress Fuzzbottom, Elijah Weberhan was Kriegmeister, Jordan D. White was Dr. Selloff, and Ryan Larranger was Mr. Banal. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Oh, and I should point out, Michael Temporary Card Mikowski is the same Mike who I was calling at the beginning of the show. Kind of. You keep saying kind of. It's not important. It's not important. Uh, anyway, um, what's next? Oh, uh, next is Listener Mail, of which we got none. You know, my birthday coming up, Christmas coming up, we got no good wishes from anyone. So I guess nobody cares. I know how that feels. <sighs> anyway, if you'd like to write into us, you can write into us at castandwax at gmail.com. And that's exciting. Up next, uh, we've only got one thing left on the show, which is Scapey's song for the for the week, for the week, for the month. Uh, his Christmas song. Scape, do you want to talk about this Christmas song? Absolutely. Um, it's called Merry Christmas. If you're yucky, okay, and it's about the thing that I've been talking about, stupid old dad leaving for Christmas. So I think you will all enjoy it. Uh, cause, uh, cause let's be honest, Christmas can suck. Well, I don't think Christmas sucks. Well, it sucks for me, so. Well, I'm sorry. I'm really, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Well, be sorry. Well, I said I am. Good. But we're still gonna go. <sighs> Because you're still a jerk. No, I'm not a jerk. Dad! Oh, escape. All right. Uh, anyway, Rory, you want to say anything before we go? Yes. Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy Hanukkah, if you celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, if there's another holiday I'm forgetting, is there Kwanzaa? Yes. Celebrate that, you know, happy that. And if you don't celebrate any holidays, happy, you know, life going on. But the point is, I'll be speaking to you all next year. Please continue sending in your well wishes and your money. 
especially the money, uh, for the Queen's Institute, castingwax at gmail.com, please. Thank you. And I'll, I'll talk to you next year. Right. Uh, and I echo the sentiment that he just made, the, 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 the festive part, not the give us money part. I mean, I like money, but I don't like it as much as him. Right, because you're a communist. Well, I'm not. I, uh, well, anyway, let's get right to it. Scape, uh, let's get to your song, right? Yeah, let's get to my song. I'll see you guys later. All right. Be seeing you. Happy holidays. Daughter, could it be we learn the true meaning of cask? <coughs> oh, oh, thank heaven you came. I was sure that agent from the committee to have Alderman Samuels killed would succeed. Shh, <coughs> Alderman Samuels, here's something that'll help you relax. And once again, Debatatorium deals with very serious issues. Have you seen the end of a Godzilla movie? Yeah. There's not much of Tokyo left, is there, my friend? Not much. Why am I calling you my friend? You're like my enemy. We're foes, not friends. What? I'm not your enemy. You said I lost last time. That was your decision. That wasn't God's decision. Well, oh, that's true. Plus, we'll discuss all sorts of important days in history. Excuse me. Which of us is the president of France and which of us is you? I can't see you. My visor is stuck. Drum solo! Plus all new scapey stories from A Cat in the Dark And eventually even some Frank Allen interviews And it's all coming your way in January 2010 And only on Waxwork.com Ave Maria Grazia plena Dominus tecum Benedictatu Emulieribus, a benedictus fructus ventris tui.